1995, Sergeant Brady became Baltimore County's first female Sergeant of Homicide. Many of the upcoming episodes tell stories from this time in her career. Listener discretion is advised. What's going on? Let your mother know. Your mother wants to know. She's an inquiring mind. Mind. Is it mine or mind? <laughs> Calling to get service. See you. Evelyn J. Cunningham was a 63-year-old overlay woman living in a semi-attached house on the 400 block of Old Home Road. She was found beaten, stabbed, and raped on December 10, 1996. There was no sign of forced entry into the home, but the murderer had attacked her so viciously her chest cavity was essentially carved out. Her home was burglarized but before he left, Evelyn's attacker attempted to destroy all evidence by putting her in the bathtub and flooding the home. The act of folding her body into the tub actually saved DNA from being washed away. In 1995, you became Baltimore County's first female sergeant of homicide. Why homicide? Well, at that point, I think I had what, 27 years on, and I've been in criminal investigation division since 89 as a sergeant, and I always just thought homicide would be really interesting to work. So I hadn't really thought about it that much, though, because I loved what I was doing in the uh, Economic Crimes Unit, being the sergeant at that point in time, and the, the detectives and everybody that I was working with. And... Um, I'm at the house, and I'm in the kitchen, and Bill is on 311. I'm on day work because I worked all day work in economic crimes. And I get this phone call, and of all people, it's Detective Bill Ramsey. And as you remember from, you know, when I was a cadet, I mean, this is, what, 20-some years later, I was a cadet riding with him. Um, when he was an officer in Essex, and 20-some years later, he's been a homicide detective for years, and this is how the phone call went. Sergeant Woes, Sergeant Woes, are you by yourself? <laughs> <laughs> so I started laughing, and I'm looking around my house, and I'm thinking, I'm definitely the only one here, and I said, yeah, Rams, I'm, I'm, I'm alone. He said, I just want you to know that my sergeant, my sergeant, he's, he's leaving here, he's leaving here, and you need to put in, you need to put in, because we want you as our sergeant. I said, okay. And I said, he said, so make, make sure you hurry up and you put in for it, you put in for it. <laughs> I swear to God, that's, that's why I put in for it at that particular time, because I wouldn't have known it, that, you know, I didn't realize there was an opening there. Um, Bill was in homicide at the time, and... Um, as a detective, but I, it wasn't, I don't, it wasn't his sergeant. So, um, I said, okay. So then I realized that there was going to be an opening. And so I applied for it and I interviewed for it and I ended up getting it. And because I was going into a homicide as a sergeant, two squads, um, Bill, who was my husband, obviously was a homicide detective who had been trying to get out and go into robbery for years. Well, now, all of a sudden, because I was going in there, you can't work for your wife. 
And I'm pretty sure it would have been that squad. So um, he got what he wanted, and I ended up in homicide as a sergeant because of that phone call. Yeah. So I'm sure you've had a lot of cases over your time in homicide, but what is one of your most memorable? Well, it would have been one of the the ca- a case that I supervised with Ramsey and Capel, the two... Um, Ramsey and his partner, and it was within a couple months. I'd only been there as a sergeant for a couple months, and I we get called. I get called to a scene, and I meet them there, and it was probably in the nine years, not the most horrific, but pretty well one of them crimes that I'd ever homicide scenes that I ever walked into. I met the officers there. You know, the officers were. Um, standing guard, whatever, protecting the crime scene, police officer, patrol officers, and um, Bill and Bobby were there. And I walk in, and the first thing I noticed when I walked in to the kitchen was that the floors were soaked. And then I went from there, walked with the guys, and they showed me where our victim was, Mrs. Cunningham. And she was a wonderful woman. She had been a wonderful woman ever- it's such a shame because this happens in most homicides where the people that are murdered are the last people that you would think that would ever be murdered. And it's just people that are such good people in their lives. And then something horrific like this happens. And I followed the water because the house had been soaked. The suspect, whoever he was, and he was unknown, had turned on after he did this brutal murder, had turned on the sink and faucets, and they had been running, um, I believe it was overnight, because her son was concerned. He actually was the one that found her, which, God awful, I can't even imagine a son having to find his his mother like this or any relative like this. But um, she had worked at a um, where her job was. She hadn't shown up, and that was not her, like her at all. And so they called her son because they couldn't get a hold of her, and he shows up and he finds this horrific scene. So I'm walking through with the detectives to where she is, and basically it was so brutal. She was in a bathtub, folded over, and she had been stabbed multiple times, multiple times. I mean, there was so much blood in that scene it was just horrific and that water had been turned on and was running nonstop. so basically he was trying to obviously get rid of any evidence there possibly could be dna wise and um he even had stopped whoever the suspect was and had stabbed her so many times um that the knife bent so he took his time went into the kitchen and got another knife just to continue it and we figured out, the detectives figured out, obviously, that she had originally, he had started to stab her and sexually assault her in her bedroom. She had been watching TV. And um, it went from the sexual assault to where she was stabbed multiple times and dragged into the bathroom. So it, it, it was just, like I said, horrific. Um, we were there for, needless to say, hours and hours and hours, and crime lab techs are just unbelievably efficient and they're just so good at what they do um but you don't want to miss anything
we got back to the office, I mean, it'd been a long, we were there for a long time. There was so much to find at that scene. And like I said, the crime lab techs were awesome and just don't want to miss anything. And it's the first and only scene I can actually say in nine years that the suspect, you know, flooded, tried to flood everything to get, you know, to destroy evidence. So right away you're thinking, and I know they were thinking, well, this is somebody that has been through the system somehow to actually think this way. And, um, but we get back to the office and Bobby and Billy are telling everybody what, what happened and um, said that you'll never guess who the next door neighbor is with the attached house because they were attached houses. And I was new to the unit, so I had no idea who they, what they were talking about. And they see Milton, Milton and um, Duckworth and they say, Donald Jones. And he said, you've got to be kidding me. He said, well, then he's your murderer. And Billy and Bobby said, well, we felt the same way too. And the crime scene was so brutal. The assault was so brutal. She was stabbed so many times that we felt for sure that the suspect was going to have cuts on him somewhere. Cause you know, there was obviously a battle on there. She did everything she could to save herself. <laughs> and a lot of times when you have homicides where the knife is involved, the suspect also gets cut because of just the whole situation of what you're doing and what kind of weapon you're using and people fighting back. And they said, so when we went over there and realized who it was, we had him strip his shirt off and we looked and he didn't have a mark on him on his hands, chest, anywhere. I mean, we had him turn around. So I said to them, well, who is Donald Jones? And that's when Milton said that I think he murdered a 13 year old 10 years ago, 1986. Laura Lynn Bird had just recently moved to the 400 block of Old Home Road in the overlay area of Baltimore County, Maryland when she went missing in August of 1986. According to a Baltimore Sun article by Deborah Green, she was reported missing at 1.30 a.m. Thursday, August 28, 1986. Since Lara was only 13, police quickly recognized it was unusual for her to be unaccounted for and began a search of her neighborhood. Almost everyone in the neighborhood joined in on the search. Baltimore County Police began distributing flyers throughout the overlay area and Lara's picture was published in the newspaper and on local TV. By that Sunday, when police efforts turned up little to no leads, they re-interviewed her 16-year-old brother. At that time, he told police Lara was with him in Belmar Park the evening before she went missing. The siblings and some other local kids were drinking in the park, which was known to be a teenage party spot. Laura's brother claimed to last see her around 10.30 p.m. that evening. As a result of this interview, detectives had the boys show them where in the park they had been partying. However, it was already dark when they made it to the park. On Monday, September 1st, 1986, county police search teams entered Belmar Park to look for evidence. A brief search found Laura's body less than 100 feet from where the teenagers had reportedly been drinking four days earlier. Baltimore County Police reported that Laura's death had been classified as a homicide. If you have ever experienced a Baltimore summer, you know the heat can be unbearable. 
Unfortunately, this heat left Lara's body badly decomposed at the time of her discovery, and there was very little evidence able to be collected. An autopsy report was able to uncover Lara suffered from a blow to the head and a large open wound to her throat. The reporting on Lara Lynn's Bird's case I found from 1986 states homicide detectives were questioning several teenagers known to be at the party the night of Lara's disappearance. However, no arrests were ever made. Donald Wayne Jones was born March 3rd, 1971 with blue eyes and strawberry blonde hair. In 1986, he lived with his mother in a semi-attached house in the 400 block of Old Home Road. While the rest of the neighborhood searched for missing Laura Lynn Bird, 15-year-old Donald sat on his porch with his feet propped up and watched. An act that did not go unnoticed by Laura's mother and Baltimore County detectives. Donald was brought in for questioning as one of the teens that attended the party in Belmar Park. At that time, he failed a polygraph test. The original detective who worked the case felt that Donald Jones was their killer, but there was no evidence to prove it. Even with fresher cases coming across their desks, Baltimore County homicide detectives continued to work Laura Lynn's Bird's case and were able to get a blood sample from Jones. However, with nothing to compare it to, it was logged into evidence. Jones would go three more years before beginning his criminal record. At age 18, he tried to block a police officer from arresting a friend outside of a bar in Dundalk. And by 1994, he had convictions of drug distribution and breaking and entering. He was released from jail in November 1996 after serving two years of a 12-year sentence for burglary. This was just 17 days prior to Miss Evelyn's slaying. Without any evidence, and originally we didn't have any evidence, we didn't think we did, but it was one of the most brutal. And when they were interviewing neighbors and and other than psh, these two, Donald Jones and his, his mother, um, uh, her hairdresser, I mean, everybody they interviewed, different people were telling the detectives, which is why they always felt that she was scared to death of her neighbor, her next door neighbor. He'd come over and, and borrow cigarettes from her and just something about him, she was scared to death of him. <laughs> and Mrs. Cunningham was 63, strangely enough, and because that's similar to my age <laughs> and um donald jones at the time of mrs cunningham's murder was i believe 25 25, 25. Mm -hmm. and it, i'm telling you this woman no one deserves this but she certainly didn't she sounded like she was a really nice woman mm -hmm. and i don't know if anybody could have Nobody would have known that something like this would have happened to her. Nobody. Mm -hmm. And the reason why there was no other evidence is because he had just gotten out of prison for, I believe, burglary and drug charges. And obviously, he wore, also wore gloves during this entire incident. Mm -hmm. How he managed not to get a single knife wound on him, I do not know. Cut wound or whatever on him. But obviously, he thought he was smarter than everybody else. 
with the water deal and it didn't quite work. Mm -hmm. And when she went for an autopsy, thank God that they were able to get DNA from the sexual assault. He thought that he had washed it all away. Well, he didn't, but still we weren't, we had no evidence to say that it was him. So they worked the case and it was a couple months and, but they submitted his name for um, her when we realized that we had um, suspect evidence on her, they submitted his name. They ended up having, they'd had swabs that were taken when um, the first investigation was being done with Laura Bird, where he had, he had willingly given up his swabs. Seven months after the murder of Evelyn Cunningham, detectives got a hit from semen found at the scene to blood from evidence held from Laura Lynn's Bird cold case. DNA from a recent blood test also matched the semen taken at the scene. So those swabs that were had been kept at headquarters, they had compared them to the evidence they had gotten off of Mrs. Cunningham, and we ended up getting a hit. So he was, and let me tell you, we had a lot of people out there couldn't wait to get their hands on him to lock him up. And to say that he is one of the most cold-blooded, evil people I've ever seen, met, seen them interview. He is absolutely. And just to give you an idea, Laura's mother actually, and a, a lot of Mrs. Cunningham, she was a well-loved person, were at the trial made, and sat through the whole trial. Well, Laura's mother, because she always felt, because of what she had been told, that he was probably the one that did it and knew that he would never be able to prove it. And she was sitting in the courtroom, and this just tells you, a little bit about who he is and who he was. Um, he knew who she was because he grew up in the neighborhood with her and so he knew that it was Laura's mother and sometime during the trial one of the detectives told me because I wasn't there that he turned around, looked Mrs. Bird in the eye and gave her the finger. Mm. So that tells you all you need to know about him <laughs> and obviously there was never going to be any remorse. He was found guilty <clears throat> of all charges with Mrs. Cunningham. He was never going to get out of prison. So at one point, um, Phil and his partner, Jimmy, actually went to the prison to try to get closure for, you know, Laura Bird's family. So it was, he told them basically where to go um, when they tried to interview him and talk about perfect justice. I don't know what you, how you want to describe it. When he was in prison, he'd only been in prison for a couple of years serve in the first couple of years of his murder conviction. And he overdosed in heroin and died in prison. It was just wonderful. We could, I mean, we were all very happy when we heard that. <laughs> so, you know, oh well, you know, we can be happy on things, people dying sometimes. And that was one of the ones where we were very happy that somebody died mm -hmm. because, you know, he would, he got away with the first murder. He didn't get away with Mrs. Cunningham's murder, but you know, he could care less. He just could care less about life. And Phil and Jimmy went to the, where he was, the prison he was in for those couple of years since he'd been found guilty and been incarcerated for Mrs. Cunningham and found a cellmate and actually brought him back to headquarters and to see if there's any way they could get closure for this case. And as you heard Phil telling us when we were talking to him tonight, that he thought he was originally being brought back because something he did. And he said, no, it was more about, this is about Donald Jones. And the first words out of his mouth is, is it about the 13 year old that he murdered? 
And I mean, he had so much details and this guy would have never known about the Laura Bird case mm-hmm. all these years later. And he had told this cellmate of his, this enti- the entire scenario and what he did to Laura Bird, you know, and, and murdered her. So it was enough to be able for the state's attorney to be convinced that he did, he was the one that murdered Laura Bird. So she felt that this guy knew so much information that only the killer would know, you know, that Donald Jones had told him that they were able to, um, and he took Milton with him and go to see Mrs. Bird, Fran, and tell her that, you know, we have finally know for sure that he is the one that killed your daughter. Mm-hmm. So to give her some closure mm-hmm. and obviously the rest of the family. After two days of deliberation on May 16th, 1997, a jury convicted Donald Wayne Jones, age 26, of stabbing, raping, and robbing his neighbor, Evelyn J. Cunningham. A Baltimore Sun newspaper article by Chris Antonelli quotes Miss Evelyn's daughter-in-law. It just goes to, to prove you never know who lives next door to you. I think this was might have been my first homicide with Ramsey and, um, his partner, <laughs> and I think that that homicide, um, along with a couple other things that happened, but I think that was the final straw because both of them had been in homicide for years, detectives, mm-hmm. and probably within a year of that murder and me going to the unit, they both retired. I think enough was enough. And you gotta think they were older by then also. I mean, sometimes, you know, you just don't wanna be on call anymore. And you don't have any choice. You have six detectives and, you know, teams. You, you're you always on call with your partner. And it can get old. You mm-hmm. miss family things. You miss family functions. functions, And you usually don't come home for a couple of days. That's mm-hmm. just the way it works. Because we don't stop until there's nothing else to do. And then you go home and get some sleep. And then you come back. Mm-hmm. And you keep working it. Because mm-hmm. none of these detectives ever want to have a homicide suspect out there when they know that there might be a chance of them figuring out who it is. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it is because this person, you know, right off the bat, you were right off the bat, you're knowing, knowing that your possible suspect probably has already committed another murder mm-hmm. and you're just, yeah, that's just the way it is. To support the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Maybe we can get Buckshot some treats so he doesn't interrupt every episode. Also, follow us on Facebook for updates and pictures. Did you get that? If not, I'll repeat it. To support the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Maybe we can get Buckshot some treats so he doesn't interrupt every episode. Also, follow us on Facebook for updates and pictures.